طيب بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مذل له ومن يذلله فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله صلى الله عليه وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم تسليما كثيرا أما بعد My dear brothers and sisters, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. So what's something fascinating or interesting that you came across on social media today or yesterday? I'll start off. I was very shocked to see that DJ Khaled is performing Umrah. I'm not sure if you guys saw that, but he was with Mike Tyson, Mike Tyson's father, and there was someone else there, I can't remember who. But DJ Khaled performing Umrah, like, subhanAllah, that was a, a, a shock to me. Like, I didn't know he still retained some sort of religious identity because he's always using, like, very uh, non-Islamic language, right? And even when he was, he had that very funny, funny interview about him praying, you know, do you pray five times a day? He's like, you know, I pray, like, a hundred times a day. And I'm praying right now as I'm talking to you. And just, like, he always has this funny persona. So, inshallah, you know, that's a, a form of guidance for him. Um, so, he mixes in Quran with his rap. That's not legit, bro. That shouldn't be happening. The Quran, you know, needs to retain its sanctity, subhanAllah. Taif, what else is something new that you guys have seen on social media recently? Interesting, fascinating. Anything you want to share? Shah Rukh Khan did Umrah as well. Why you know that, Shadi? I, I won't even ask why you know that. I will not even ask why you that. But yeah, for people performing Umrah, that, that's huge, alhamdulillah. Yeah. What do you guys think of all of the memes that came out when uh, Morocco beat Spain? I think those were amazing. Like, you know, Muslims recaptured Andalus by winning. So alhamdulillah, that was a, a big victory for Islam and the Muslims. Yeah, so I mean, look, there's, there's a lot been going uh, on on social media. Not all of it is great, but you got to try to find the good that comes out of it. So bismillah ta'ala, our schedule for tonight is we're going to be doing chapter number seven, which is family. Chapter number eight, which is uh, envy. And chapter number nine is about social activism uh, on social media, which has changed. It's a lot to cover. We're going to try to go through as much of it as we can, bi ta'ala, so that we can get closer to finishing the book. You know, we were just discussing earlier that while we're taking our time to do our due diligence in explaining these topics and discussing these topics, it's also put us behind schedule. The average halakha series is about four weeks long. This one's going to end up being around seven, bi ta'ala. So I appreciate the, your patience. Uh, and all of you sticking around for this journey, especially the familiar faces that are coming every week. You know, I really, really appreciate that. Jazakumullah khairan. So let's start off with family. So let's start off with family. What challenges have the smartphone posed to the family? So obviously the first challenge that smartphones bring is you are responsible for your own work-life balance. You are responsible for your own social media consumption. So now when it comes to family dynamics, we've discussed this already, you have a family that sits down for dinner, everyone has their phones in front of them, everyone's busy and engaged with something else, and no one's actually talking and discussing things with one another. The father comes home from work, he's already exhausted and tired, but the fact that he's accessible through his smartphone, his work is constantly engaged with him. He's responding to emails, responding to messages, and the family will feel neglected even though he's physically present. And then when the fight erupts, you know, the wife will complain that, you know, you're never here, you're never around. And the husband's like, I'm always here. What are you talking about? He's talking about being physically present. She's talking about uh, emotionally and spiritually being present. 
And that's where the, the disconnect is happening. So we start off with this dynamic. So we have to recognize that we are responsible for our own balance, we're responsible for our own consumption, and we've spoken uh, about this quite a, a bit. Now, where is this dilemma coming and, and stemming from? Putting work aside, if you have the opportunity to sit down and talk with your family, or you have the opportunity to watch you know, KNPL shorts on YouTube, what are you gonna choose to do? The individual that's had a long day and just wants to decompress, they're like, obviously I'm gonna watch these KNPL shorts, these short sound bites, 30 seconds to a minute, they're gonna make me laugh, they're gonna improve my mood, and it doesn't require any mental strength or energy. Whereas engaging with family, someone has a complaint, someone has a request, kids are gonna be like, Baba, I need some more money, and then you're gonna start thinking of, you know, why do they always spend my money? Is, am I just an ATM to you? And then you're like, okay, let me just forget these conversations. I'm just gonna stay busy with my phone. So this alternative reality that you can create where you feel like you're decompressing, but you're decompressing is not actually leading to anything positive, right? So yeah, you'll get entertained for a little while, but has it overall changed your mood? No, it hasn't. Because you're becoming dependent on those clips to become happy and to laugh. In order for your mood to actually change, this is where you realize the value of action. You do something that makes you feel good, that is going to be sustainable, and that will have a prolonged effect. But if it's an external source that is bringing you happiness, as soon as that external source is taken away, your happiness and your joy gets taken away. So you have to monitor your own behavior as well. Why are we always craving these short clips to entertain us, right? You can use it once in a while, but don't depend your happiness and your joy on it. What other channels do you guys watch that create good shorts uh, and reels on social media that make you laugh? I'm, I'm just talking about from a humor perspective. Go ahead. Side, sidemen? What, what do they do exactly? Okay. Uh huh. Okay. And do they do they like do pranks or like what are they doing exactly? Got you. I'll, I'll definitely check that out. What else? What else do you guys watch? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, do you watch that Dhabi guy? The guy that always says, and Bismillah. He was recently on, on, uh, on, on, Chop, on Chopped. Like he's made it big, mashallah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Alhamdulillah. How about the sisters? What do you guys watch? Sorry? But is there like a particular channel that you follow? Or look for these shorts or reels? Just you're like, I'm just going to open up TikTok and find whatever the algorithm sends me? Okay, got you, got you. Are there any particular channels that sisters follow? Mina, go ahead. Okay. Cat videos. Cat fails. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I know cat things are like actually like this massive trend. Like certain, certain people, they'll have like their personal page and then they have like pages for their cats. It's a, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No way. So there's like cat celebrities. Allahu Akbar. Uh huh. 
I feel there's like a, a, a fic of catch TikTok that needs to be developed. Oh, no way. SubhanAllah. Ajeeb. MashaAllah. Sister in the back, go ahead. Digital Sisterhood Podcast. Yeah, that's become famous very recently. And they've done a really good job, MashaAllah. It's, 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 uh, uh, it's amazing. And I, I think that's something that really needs to be celebrated because it's very rare that you'll find a Muslim personality that reaches like number one across the board. Like if you look at their podcast in terms of its ranking, like the Digital Sisterhood podcast is run by a Muslim sister, and across the board, you know, it's been ranked one, uh, number one for a number of weeks. That's really good, mashallah. Anything else that I'm missing? Anything else that you guys watch? For pure entertainment purposes, just to make you laugh. Go ahead. I'm glad you said for entertainment purposes, because you definitely should not be taking him seriously. Definitely should not be taking him seriously. So interesting side note. The, there's a brother that attended a couple of weeks ago. He came up to me after the halakha and he's like, hey, we need to do uh, a session on mincel. And I'm like, what's mincel? And he's like, the Muslim incel movement. And I'm like, okay, that's really fascinating. Send me all the resources that you have. And there's actually quite a bit that's being written and documented on the Muslim incel movement. Um, so maybe in a, in a halakha coming near you, we'll be discussing Andrew Tate in quite a bit of detail. So we'll consider you the in-house expert, inshallah. My dear friend Omar, go ahead. Last one. Sorry? Tell me what that is. I have no idea what that is. Okay. Nice. And what's his name again? I show speed. I show speed. Okay, got you, got you, got you. Okay, good stuff, good stuff. Right. Let's continue. So now, we've spoken about what, what should families be sharing online. We said have that discussion with your families and with your kids especially and make sure that they're not sharing anything that will compromise their identities and make sure that nothing that will compromise their integrity or their character as well. They have to be cautious and they have to understand that anything that you put online is going to be there forever. It's going to be there forever. One thing that we want to speak about are new age parents. So something that's come online is like family vlogs. And there's a good and a bad to this. Like if you're trying to show how you can live an Islamic lifestyle and a Muslim lifestyle and you want to educate people, Thumbs up, I think that's something great, as long as your whole family is on board. What ends up becoming a disaster is you, either as a mother, either as a father, you want to do this, but no one else in your family does. So you're forcing your family to create this persona online, but in reality, they're miserable, and there's a lot of underlying issues, and you're creating this facade. That's number one. Number two is that as you're doing this vlogging of your family, are you compromising your family's security. And what we've seen, like this has happened many, many times now, these families become very, very famous, but they you know, inadvertently shared which neighborhood that they live in or which school their kids are at. And then all of a sudden their kids are being approached, they know where your house is, they're being stalked at home. You don't want to compromise your security as well. And I think the absolute worst thing that you can do as a parent that's family vlogging is you let off steam about your family particularly about your kids. And I think this is our brothers in the back that are talking. If you can please uh, not talk, I'd greatly appreciate that. Thank you so much. The worst thing that you can do is let off steam about your family, particularly your kids. So you tell the whole world, do you know what my kids did today? My kid didn't wake up for Fajr. How dare they? And you humiliate them. And your kids end up at school 
and their classmates have watched this video, and all of a sudden, everyone knows that they didn't pay attention. And I'm just using that as a good example. It could be a wide variety of things. Didn't do their homework, you know, got caught doing something bad, and you're basically shaming your child. I want you to imagine the impact that's going to have on your child. It's going to tarnish them forever, and it's going to sever your relationship with them as well. So as Muslims get into these various online spaces, you want to think from the perspective of Islamically what is allowed. So shaming people definitely is not allowed. Exposing people's sins and mistakes is definitely not allowed. But also look at it from a security standpoint. Are you jeopardizing your family's security? And then also the type of impact it's going to have on their personalities. Are you forcing your family to become someone that they don't want to be? And they're being ultimately very fake on the camera and off the camera, they're a very different personality. And that often happens with the main vlogger themselves. They pretend to be all pious and righteous, perfect life, managing to have a job, cooking and cleaning, perfect meals being presented, laundry is folded, everyone loves them, great relationship with their neighbors, they're part of the parents' committee. But in reality, you see that everything's falling apart and they're just holding on to their lives by a thread, subhanAllah. Your real life is much, much more important than the persona we portray. Authenticity is so important for your mental health. Congruence, I will highlight this word congruence, is so important for your mental health. That if you've created a fake persona online that is not like that in real life, you're creating your own mental health crisis. You are creating your own mental health crisis. Because you're setting up an expectation for yourself that when people interact with you, they're expecting to see that persona. But when they meet you, you're rude, you're angry, you don't care, you don't, know, you don't have any emotional intelligence whatsoever, you don't know how to run a relationship, and you, know, you, you, you create this disingenuous person, which Islamically is a form of hypocrisy, which Islamically is a form of hypocrisy. Now, similarly, we have the exact opposite as well. Where we have children, they get onto TikTok, and they're ranting about my parents. You know, my parents don't understand me. My parents are from back home, and you know what? They don't understand the culture over here. They don't let me go out. They don't let me watch this movie. They don't let me listen to music. They don't let me do a wide variety of things. And you go on and rant, and you complain about your parents. And we've seen this regularly. And this panel, we were speaking about this early on, the impact of what you expose yourself to, even though you may not do this yourself, but if you constantly expose yourself to this negativity, you get desensitized, and you start to think it's OK. And once you start to think it's okay, it may naturally come out of you as well. And that's what we want to try to avoid. So young people have to remember that just like you have to respect your parents in real life, you have to respect them and revere them online as well. You can't be complaining and ranting. You can't be exposing secrets uh, and, and sins publicly. You can't be letting out your, your, your family laundry, right? Every family has their laundry. Oftentimes, we'll look at these families online and you may think, you know, why is my family so messed up? Why can't my family be like that? But the reality is, as we talk about envy, more is not always better. More is not always better. Like the test of gratitude is much, much more difficult than the test of patience. And we'll talk about when we talk about envy, ta'ala. In terms of basic etiquette, how many of you know someone that is constantly documenting their whole life on social media? always taking pictures, always doing lives. How many of you know someone like that? A lot of us, right? Even though there's no written law about this officially, but from an Islamic etiquette standpoint, you shouldn't be taking pictures of people 
without their permission. You shouldn't be taking pictures of people without their permission. And even more so, you shouldn't be putting pictures and videos of people online without their permission. This is like basic adab and etiquette to have. So imagine you come to the halaqa tonight, and you want to take some selfies after the halaqa, and there's people in the background, and you may think, you know what, it's not that big of a deal. But if you want to share a picture of yourself, that's fine, you can do whatever you like. But make sure you blur those people out. If you're not going to blur them out, seek their permission. Seek their permission. This is just basic adab and akhlaq. And the deeper underlying issue, the constant need to put your whole entire life online. Where is that desire coming from? What need is it fulfilling inside of you? What need is it fulfilling inside of you? Now, we did the activity last week in terms of screen time, and I want to do it again to get some updates. Because I'm hoping that my screen time has gone down, which it has, alhamdulillah. So last week I reported my average screen time was eight hours. I'm very, very happy to report to you, alhamdulillah, my average screen time this week was five hours and 14 minutes. That is reason for celebration for me, alhamdulillah. Who's going to share some numbers with me? Go ahead. And what was it last week? Do you remember? You didn't have it last week? Okay. Bismillah. Who else? Mina, what's your number at this week? Twenty service and down. Alhamdulillah. But I remember you're doing a lot of like ebook reading, so that, that's good. Alhamdulillah. Go ahead. You, 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 yeah. Bismillah. And what was it last week? Good. So you've gone down as well, alhamdulillah. And how about you? So you've gone up. So the hour that he lost, you've basically taken over. Alhamdulillah. Go ahead. Allahu Akbar. Why is everyone going down? Like, did we take heed last week? And we're like, Khalas, I don't want to be publicly shamed anymore. Go ahead. Alhamdulillah, that's a big improvement, man. That's a big improvement. Shadi, where, what are you at? It wasn't turned on? <laughs> Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah, no worries. Anyone else? Bismillah. It went up because you were at like one hour something last week. Alhamdulillah, I, I, I would assume as much, either Quran or, or the lecture, mashallah. That's good. Anyone else want to share? Go ahead. I want to buy an hour from last week. Okay, alhamdulillah. Go ahead. You're not streaming the halakha this time. There's no need to stream the halakha. This is up on Facebook and on YouTube. You just share the, the link from that, inshallah. Go ahead. Two and a half hours. And what was it last week? Around three. So you've gone down as well, alhamdulillah. Okay, so that's really good. So now, is there an actual number that we can say is a healthy number for people to be on their phones. Actually, I remember you had a ridiculous number last week, but you were also doing a science project. So you had like 12 hours last week, right? What was it at this week? <laughs> you, you were just playing games today? Okay, alhamdulillah. Anything less than 12 hours, I would have celebrated, man. Anything less than 12 hours, I would have celebrated, mashallah. That's great. So now, is there a number that we should be focusing on? Exactly. Of course. Right. 
Excellent. I, I love that answer. I, it's dependent on the individual themselves. Is there anyone that believes that everyone needs to abide by this one number, regardless of their work, regardless of you know, their position in society? This is the number that you need to stick to. Anyone that believes that? Not more than 24 hours? I'm sure there's a brother that's going to prove you wrong. I'm sure there's a brother that's going to prove you wrong. He's going to get two phones and use them at the same time. And he'll be like 48 hours right here. Alhamdulillah. No, I, I, that, that, I mean, if that is a standard we're setting, like that's like you aim so low that you're guaranteed success, right? You aim so low, you're guaranteed success. And that's what we want to get at. So the key thing is not looking at the actual number, right? I know a lot of times we get very shy about the number Eight hours is so much, 10 hours is so much. Some people may even feel three hours is so much. And I completely get that. But the key thing you want to look at is what are you doing on your phone? What are you doing on your phone? So if you're constantly just watching stuff that is useless, you want to minimize that time. If you're constantly just scrolling through social media without doing anything productive, you want to cut out to that time. If you're constantly just chatting away with your friends, sharing memes day and night, cut out to that time. But if you're reading ebooks, you're learning, you're watching lectures on YouTube, you're learning something through a, a course or something like that, it's irrelevant on how high those numbers are, right? Uh, I can't remember which brother was sharing, but uh, the brother commutes a lot back and forth. And he says, while I'm commuting back and forth, I always have my phone playing a YouTube lecture. And if it ends up being like 12 hours, you know, that's not something to be ashamed about. It's more about what are you doing with your phone. It's more about what are you doing with your phone. That's what you want to focus on. Should you still set a daily time limit for yourself and for your kids? How do you guys feel about that? You should? So what does that look like? Right. Excellent. So that, that's for yourself. I, I, I love that advice. Try to schedule out your day and abide by that schedule. And that, that's really good because that way you've committed a certain amount of time, you fulfilled your obligation and you know that as soon as that portion is over, you can move on to something else. Any other thoughts? Should you be setting a time limit for yourself in terms of how much you use your phone? Go ahead. Yeah. So you should have some sort of control because moderation is a part of our deen. I love that. Abza? <laughs> 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. Do not disturb on your phone. But that's no one can reach you. But do you still use your phone at that time or you put your phone away as well? That's discipline, mashallah. That's really good. There's actually this uh, concept of before you go to sleep, three hours before you uh, sleep, don't eat. Two hours before you sleep, don't drink. And one hour before you sleep, don't use anything that has a blue light, meaning either TV uh, or uh, your phones or your iPads and things like that. And I think that's a, a very healthy lifestyle to, to commit to. How do the sisters feel? Should we be setting time limits on our phone usages? We should? Go ahead. You have a thought to share?
Right. Uh huh. Of course. Right. Right. I agree with that. Jazakallah khair. So setting a schedule and having accountability for your time. You know, we have that famous statement from Al-Hassan al-Basri, that you are just a number of days. If a day goes by, part of you has gone by. And Ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu saying that if you are the same person that you were yesterday, this is like from the biggest of disasters. Meaning if you haven't learned something or if you haven't given up a bad habit, then this is a disaster. You know, what have you done with your time? Kids, setting limits for kids. The younger the kid, this is my personal opinion, we're not going to have a discussion on this. We can discuss it uh, later on, inshallah. The younger the child, the less screen time they should have. They need to learn to interact with people. They need to experience the world. They need to learn hands-on experience. And I understand that education is a very key component, particularly when you introduce a screen to them. But try to be more inclusive of hands-on experience and them learning things through their hands and them learning things through their hands. That will be much, much more better for them. We're still studying the impact of screens upon young kids. Like there hasn't been enough study in terms of a longitude study of like 30, 40 years of the impact that it will have. But I'm very confident that more screen time for the younger child is very detrimental to their development. And that is something we want to stay away from. You have a comment or a question? So yeah, if you have a written down schedule, that's very productive. But I, I think what I wanted to get at is the way you, that you use your phone. In your phone, there is the option that certain apps, you can put a limit as to their usage. And then if you want to use it more than that, you need a passcode. That passcode you shouldn't have for yourself. And I'm not speaking about you, I'm speaking about the population in general. Give it to a friend, give it to a family member. And then if it's a desperate situation, you get the passcode, you change it again, and then you get access to it. So for example, you shouldn't be watching like five hours of Netflix every single day. You shouldn't be on Facebook for five hours every single day or Instagram or TikTok or all these social media accounts. Unless that's your actual business, that's the, actual, like the exception. But if you're just consuming content, there has to be a limit. You need to decide what that is for you. You need to decide what that is for you. So now, the last point I want to mention over here is the trap of... Actually, we've discussed this already. Comparing your family to everyone else's, we've done that. So let's move on to the action points. Action point number one, call a family meeting and walk through the issues that we've discussed over here today. So the issues that we've discussed, call a family meeting, discuss these issues with your family. What does healthy screen time and social media engagement look like for your family? And how will you follow through on it? That's always the big thing. Like I like this idea of like 10 p.m. to 6 p.m. Everyone puts their devices away. And it's like, you should not even have access to it. Like, leave it in the living room to charge. You wake up in the morning, you've used the bathroom, you've prayed Fajr, you've gotten ready for the day, and then you go and check your phone. One of the worst habits that we do, and we've discussed this already, is you wake up, and the first thing you'll do, inshallah, husnadhan, we make our dhikr, you know, alhamdulillah, okay, Facebook notifications, Instagram notifications, email notifications, then go use the bathroom, then go pray Fajr, and then start our day. 
that's not the way to start your day. Like you're over-exercising your brain when you shouldn't be doing that. Start off your day as calm, as serene as possible. You're supposed to start off with gratitude. That's why you start off by praising Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So I, I love this example of 10 to 6. Put it away for those that can actually do it. Number two, identify screen-free family times. So dinner time, definitely put phones away. But are there other times of the day where you should not have access to your phones and your tablets? So if you're doing your homework and it doesn't require you to look something up, put it away and make that mandatory. So do your homework in public spaces, take away the tablets and the phones, don't do have any distractions. Quran time, take away the phones, don't have any distractions, right? Set those boundaries. And approach these with a mindset of experimentation. You may try something, and after two weeks, you realize it's not working. That's not a problem. Meet again, adjust, and this will constantly be an evolving process. So particularly as your children get older, you want to have a bit more leeway, a bit more flexibility. Chapter number eight, envy. Chapter number eight, envy. The Prophet says, envy is permitted only in two cases. A man whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives wealth and he disposes of it rightfully and a man to whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives knowledge, which he applies and teaches it. So we look at the differentiation between hasad and ghibta. Hasad and ghibta. Hasad is, uh, is often what we call envy. And this is what we're familiar with so through um, the uh, Surah Al-Falaq, right? But when we look at this hadith, this hadith is not actually talking about hasad, it's talking about ghibta. How do we differentiate between the two? Hasad, you see someone that has something, you want it for yourself, and you would prefer that the other person didn't have it. You would prefer that the other person doesn't have it. Ghibta, you see something good, you want that person to retain it, but you also want it for yourself. You also want it for yourself. So ghibta is allowed, whereas hasad is prohibited. Hasad is prohibited. So let's establish some very quick rules. Anytime you see something from someone that you like, that you admire, that you're impressed by, we want to create our natural habitat and intuition to say, Allahumma barik lahu, Allahumma barik laha, that oh Allah bless them in it. That should be your natural reaction. And that is one of the best ways to protect yourself from hasad. Number two is develop this mindset that more is not necessarily better and less is not necessarily worse. Less is not necessarily worse. What do we mean by this? People often assume that being rich is better. Being rich is not necessarily better. Having enough for your family to survive is the ideal situation. You have more than that, you spend it in the way of Allah, that is even better than that. But the Prophet ﷺ tells us that the poor people will enter paradise 500 years before everyone else. Why is that the case? Because the more you have, the more accountability you have. The more you have, the more accountability you have. And just like you understand this concept with wealth, understand this with everything else. Anything that requires gratitude will require more accountability. Anything that requires gratitude will require more accountability. So just because someone has something of it that requires gratitude, don't assume that they're automatically better off. Because if that becomes a hindrance between them and their deen, and it separates them and distracts them from worshiping Allah and thanking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it's now become a punishment. What you consider a blessing, Allah is actually punishing them through it. Right? The Prophet ﷺ is addressed in Surah At-Tawbah, فَلَا تُعْجِبَكَ أَمْوَالُهُمْ وَأَوْلَادُهُمْ 
to punish them in this life, and they will be disbelievers in the hereafter. They will be disbelievers in the hereafter. So how does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala punish someone? What is the punishment that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is referring to in this ayah? That is to be taken away from the remembrance of Allah, to be taken away from the worshipping of Allah. It's not physical pain, but it is to be taken away from the worship of Allah. And if that is what is happening, that is the greatest form of punishment. It is greater than any form of physical, psychological, emotional persecution that a person can face. So that is uh, a, a second guideline that we want to abide by, and then we'll build upon this. So number one, anytime you're impressed by something, make dua for them. Number two, um, don't always think that more is better and less is worse, but understand that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tests people in different ways, and then we move on from there. Now, You'll notice that emotions are fleeting. So there's times where you'll be happy and then you'll be sad. There are times where you'll be overjoyed and then you'll be miserable. This is the, the, the way life works. But one of the emotions that has a prolonged effect on your heart and your mental health is envy. So as soon as you see something and shaitan plants that seed in your mind, how come I don't have that? Or how come they get to have it? that will linger in your mind for the rest of the day if you do not fight it off as soon as it comes in. So you have to understand that envy is a very different emotion from the other emotions that are out there that are fleeting. You watch a video, it makes you happy, you move on. You saw uh, something else that made you sad, you move on. But as soon as you see something that you're envious of, shaitan is going to use that to manipulate your heart and your soul. You want to be very, very careful of that. You want to be very, very careful of that. Now. Who does shaitan create a rift between? When you become envious, you're becoming envious of your peers. So I'll give you an example. You see someone like, you know, let's go back to DJ Khaled. DJ Khaled is making Umrah. Like, how many of us had the feeling that we saw DJ Khaled making Umrah? You know, I wish I could go for Umrah instead. Like, you consider DJ Khaled a celebrity. You know, that's his world. Good for him. But all of a sudden, you see one of your colleagues at work that went for Umrah. And they're sharing their whole experience of praying Fajr in al-Masjid al-Haram, hearing the Adhan, being able to make Tawaf. And you're like, man, why, how come they got to go and I didn't get to go? What's special about them that Allah invited them but didn't invite me? So it creates a rift between your peers, your friends, and your colleagues, and those, are your, those that we will consider your contemporaries. And that type of animosity is what shaitan wants. So you have to be very careful of how shaitan creates a dissent between people. So you may not be envious over the same action over someone else, but as soon as it's someone that you would compare yourself to in your social circle, that's shaitan creating dissent between you. Shaitan creating dissent between you. And he creates, uh, you know, Umar, mashallah, he presents some great examples. So particularly if you're struggling with something, so for example, you're struggling to get married, and then your friends are posting pictures of their wedding, posting pictures of their honeymoon, imagine the impact that it has on you someone that's struggling to pay their rent, and then you see your friends going on these exotic vacations. Imagine the impact that it's going to have on you. 
someone that is trouble, having trouble having a kid and someone just has a new you know, uh, born baby, imagine the impact that it's going to have on you. So if you haven't focused on fixing your heart and wanting good for everyone and praying for barakah for everyone, it's going to become a punishment for you more than it is for them. Because do you think they're going to know that you're envious of them? Do you think that they know that they are constantly on your mind and that you're jealous of them? They won't. It becomes a punishment for you. So the best thing to do is to fight it off and to pray for barakah for them. To fight it off and create barakah for them. Understand that social media companies, they thrive on your insecurity. They thrive on your insecurity. Meaning that if you look up a particular video, they assume that you want to know more about this video or that you enjoyed this video and also on the, on the type of content. The videos that you sort of enjoy, they know that you'll naturally search those out. But videos that you're wanting to benefit from and learn more about, they will take the assumption that you're insecure about those videos, uh, about those topics. So then they'll start presenting to you those even more and more. Till all of a sudden, the creators of content that are selling products now know, and they start off, hey, are you struggling to get married? Are you finding yourself very lonely at night? Do you find yourself constantly thinking, why am I so miserable? Sign up for my marriage course, 599. But if you sign up right now, in the next 20 minutes, you will get it 50% off. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Do you think that happens by accident? No, not at all. Social media knows what you are thriving for and what your insecurities are. Content creators work with those social media companies to create that content, and they create a state of desperation to sell their product and take advantage of your insecurity. And that is what ends up happening, and you have to be so careful of that. Every single person in this room has an insecurity. For some person, it will be their relationships. For some person, people, it will be their weight. For some people, it will be their academic standards, their jobs, whatever it may be. And speaking about like people like Andrew Tate, they are masterminds at this. They've recognized that new age men are having an identity crisis. They're having self-esteem and confidence issues, and they thrive on taking advantage of them that I will make you more of a masculine man and you will pay me for it, right? Like I want to share an actual quote from you. This is from a couple of weeks back and alhamdulillah he took this down, but I'm sharing it for the, from where his mind is coming from. His exact quote is that I am great, I'm God's greatest gift to men. So after thanking Allah, they should thank me. Like this is the delusion of grandeur that he has and I pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala continues to guide him but this concept on preying on people's vulnerabilities, we have to stop that. Like as valuable as your content is, mashallah, you know, all content creators believe their content is valuable. As valuable as it is, produce content for the sake of benefit, not for the sake of profit. There's a big difference. Because if you're creating it for the sake of benefit, you're going to make it accessible to people. If you're doing it for the sake of profit, you want to maximize your profit margins, minimize your expenses, and you won't care about the quality of your product. Care more about the quality as opposed to the financial benefit. If you're able to financially benefit and it's a business, alhamdulillah, by all means, explore that. But you have to draw guidelines that capitalism continues to destroy us, and it will make the predators even more vicious in their prey of those that have insecurities, which all of us do. People have just learned to manipulate it, subhanAllah. Now, we've spoken about the concept 
of how people only share their wins online, they don't share their losses, you have to keep reminding yourself of that, right? You make that principle number three. You know, snap back to reality. Whatever you see online is not real. These are, you know, doctored pictures. They're deeply edited. They're brushed up. And people are consciously choosing what they want to share with you and what they don't want to share with you. So when you're being envious of something and you're desiring something, you're desiring something that isn't real. No one has a perfect life. No one has a perfect life. And we keep coming back to the fact of people whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given everything to. Allah has given them fame. Allah has given them money. Allah has given them the world at their fingertips. Yet these are the people that are abusing substances day and night because they can't stand to live their lives. These are the same people, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us all, that are committing suicide because they can't bear to be alive even though Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given them everything. Right? That's something to think about. That's something greatly to think about. Now, last couple of points that we want to share with you is this, um, then the nature of man. And this is from uh, Surah Al-Fajr, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He tells us about mankind, then the nature of man is that when his Lord tries him through honor and blessings, he says, my Lord has honored me. But when he tries him through the restriction of his provision, he says, my Lord has humiliated me. So if you're looking for evidence of this concept of more is not always better and less is not always worse, this is the exact delil over here. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us when mankind is given provisions, he thinks he is blessed. But if his provisions are restricted, he thinks he is humiliated. That's not the case. Anything that brings you closer to Allah is better. Anything that becomes a barrier between you and Allah is a punishment. He shares a great quote for you over here. And this is like a lecture on its own, inshallah, one day. He says, uh, Alain uh, de Botin, he comments, the other thing about modern society and why it causes this anxiety is that we have nothing at its center that is non-human. We are the first society to be living in a world where we don't worship anything other than ourselves. We think very highly of ourselves, and so we should. We've put people on the moon, done all sorts of extraordinary things, and so we tend to worship ourselves. Our heroes are human. That is a very new situation. Most other societies have had, right at their center, the worship of something transcendent beyond themselves. And I think that's phenomenal, subhanAllah. Like if you look at why people are constantly craving this attention, they've learned to love themselves as the highest form of love. They've learned to be afraid of their own failures as the highest level of fear. Their hope is only about accumulating as much as they can in this life because there's no concept of believing in the hereafter that they should be striving for. And this is what the social media has exasperated, right? It's drastically built this up and sped up this process of you taking yourself as an ilah. Surah Al-Jathiya, verse number 23, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us, have you seen the one who has taken himself as an ilah? This is what has happened over here. Last point, or actually last two points that I'll mention, is that, and this can be principle number four, bidnillahi ta'ala, everything that you struggle with is your form of jihad. Everything that you struggle with is your form of jihad. In At-Tabarani, the Prophet ﷺ says, if he is striving to provide for his young children, then he is considered to be in the path of Allah. If he is striving to provide for his elderly parents, then he is considered to be in the path of Allah. If he is striving to provide for himself, 
to avoid being dependent on others, he is considered to be in the path of Allah. And I think this specifically refers to those individuals that struggle with their jobs. Why can't I have a better job? Why can't I have a better position? Why can't I have this? Strive for those things by all means. Don't restrict yourself. Work hard, get the training, get the skill set, and work towards it. But don't question the qadr of Allah. Don't question, you know, why has Allah not put me in that position? Because perhaps Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has saved you from something. But the point that we want to look at is the reality of no matter what you're struggling with, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is rewarding you. And I want us to, to bring us back to salah. When you're waiting for salah to be established, you're waiting for that salah, you're being rewarded as if you're in salah. You coming to this halaka tonight, if you got stuck in traffic, while you were stuck in traffic, you're being rewarded for attending this halaka, even though you didn't even make it to the halaka yet. So all of your struggles that are happening in your life, if you frame them the correct way, you're being rewarded for those things. And that's what we want to focus on, framing things the correct way. The last point in this chapter, he says, look at those that have less than you and do not look at those who are above you. For that will make you more inclined to not reject the favors of Allah. This is a hadith from the Prophet So now, when you're looking at people's ibadah, always look at people that are better than you, strive to be like them, right? The ghibta that we're talking about. But when it comes to dunya possessions, strive to look at those less than you and learn to be grateful for what you have. And learn to be grateful for what you have. For surely where Allah has placed you is with infinite knowledge and with infinite wisdom. With infinite knowledge and with infinite wisdom. Let's take his action points and we'll take a very small break inshallah. Action item number one. Set realistic expectations for yourself based on your circumstances. Make dua to Allah and rely on him for a way out of your difficulties. Right? Always find a way to connect to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and set realistic expectations for yourself. So for example, let's talk about struggling with one's weight. Someone wants to lose, you know, 30 pounds. Don't think that if I fast today and I work out for five hours today, I'm going to end up losing 15 pounds by tomorrow, and I can repeat that the day after, and I'm going to lose my 30 pounds. If that is your genuine expectation, you're setting yourself up for failure. Be more realistic with a sense of optimism and seek help from Allah. Number two, ensure that your timeline is coupled with time to develop meaningful relationships offline. He keeps bringing this point up, and I can't emphasize it enough either. It is through these relationships that you can remind yourself, no one has it easy. Your friends are struggling as well, even if their particular struggle is different from yours. These friends are also import, are an important source of support. So those meaningful relationships, as you discuss the problems that you're having, it brings you back to reality. Right, that, hey, everyone's having problems. And just like you need support, they need support as well, so you support each other. Number three, remember that what you post online may be something that causes envy in others. Be mindful of the good news you share and how it may affect those that are struggling. So we shared this rule previously, but try delay sharing the good news publicly. You graduated, you got married, you had a kid, you don't need to live stream it. You don't need to post it up right away. Give yourself some time, share it with your family and friends and close circles first. And then if you want to share it publicly, go ahead. But give it some time. Let things settle down. And number four, if you find yourself feeling envy towards others, make dua that Allah blesses them and blesses you. Shaitan will stop casting it in your heart when he sees it as counterproductive. 
So if he sees that he's unable to create dissent between you and your contemporaries and your friends, shaitan will give up at that point. I want to take a quick, like, two-minute break here, inshallah. So why doesn't everyone just stand up, stretch out a little bit, get some energy out? If you want to grab some tea quickly, grab some tea. You want to get some water, get some water. And we'll start up in exactly two minutes. Bismillah ta'ala. Assalamu alaikum everyone. If you can take your seats inshallah and we'll proceed. And bismillah ta'ala, we will be done imminently. Jazakumullah khairan for your patience and bearing with me of wanting to get through the content. I want to be able to go through the content with quality as opposed to running through it. But I also understand that, you know, it's been a long week, it's been a long day. We've prayed Juma today, we've had multiple things going on. It's good to take that break bismillah ta'ala. So I appreciate those of you that have stuck around. Jazakumullah khairan. So now we talk about social activism and the concept of trying to make change online. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen wa sallallahu wa sallam wa barakal nabiyyan Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'een amma ba'd. Now, question for all of you. Social media activism, is it real or is it just a trick that we play on ourselves to make us feel good that we're doing something? Social media activism, is it real or is it just a trick that we're playing on ourselves to make us feel good that we're actually doing something. What do you think? Go ahead. So if there's planning or preparation, it can make an impact, but if there was no planning or preparation, then it's not going to make an impact. Other thoughts and opinions? Go ahead. Right. Of course. Great point. There was another sister that had her hand up. Questions after, you have to answer my question first. Excellent. That's a very unique perspective, data privacy and why people should not be uh, active, doing social media activism. Anyone else from the brothers? Thoughts? Is it real and has an impact or are we just deluding ourselves? These two, go first, yep. Okay. So it depends on your intention. Explain, what does that mean? Right. Excellent. I, I want to come back to this Iran point, in, inshallah. Shadi? I think it's a bit of both. I okay. Think there is elements of that is real, and I think there is.
there was a little bit of armchair social activism where someone changes their profile picture to a certain color and they felt I did enough from the lab to go home. Right. But even in doing that, we're in an era where trending topics can actually catch attention. So even if there's an armchair social activist who just feels that they're satisfied and can attempt to their intention, there could be a greater good even with that little act. Because if the powers that be notice, oh my God, there's two million Muslims around the world, you know, discussing something. Right. They're not going to look at the details. But they're going to actually catch the attention of someone. It could make a difference. Excellent. So you can possibly catch the attention of someone that can make a difference. Okay, I have a follow-up question for you. Can we all agree as a room today that it is impossible to care equally about every cause? Can we agree with that? Is there anyone that disagrees with this statement? Anyone disagree with that? That it is not possible to equally care about, about every single cause? Any disagreement? Okay, so that is the premise I want to build. Now the question I want to ask if we recognize that we cannot equally care about every single cause and thus speak about every single cause, how do we choose which causes we speak about? That is my question for you. How do we choose which causes we speak about? Go ahead. So causes that you understand and know both sides of the stories about. Great perspective. Go ahead. What does that mean? Excellent. So causes that you deeply care about, so you have a personal attachment to it, a personal history to it. Great. Go ahead. Excellent. So I, I like that mechanism that if you're able to discern between what is more urgent and less urgent, care about the most urgent thing first, and then care about the other thing later. Who else had their hand up here? I saw another hand up. Go ahead. So you have Palestine going on, you have Syria going on, you have Libya going on. Where is your heart telling you to go? All of them are Muslim countries. No, but we're talking about you posting online. And you've already shared your views on you know, data protection laws, so I completely get that. But we're talking about if you were to choose online, like what is the thought process behind you deciding, I'm going to support this cause right now and not support this cause right now. That's what we want to try to get at and look at. Any other thoughts? I want us to recognize that it's not as simplistic as we think it is. And often what ends up happening is one of two things. Number one, the echo chamber that we live in, so whatever we see our family and friends posting, will naturally follow that trend, like, comment, share. Or, this is where I think things get even deeper, and this is where we bring in the issue of Iran, where social media will intentionally promote some causes over others. So we saw this particularly when France happened, the whole Charlie Hebdo incident. Everyone created these filters that you can change your picture to, and everyone's talking about it. But something ha happens in Palestine, there is no filter for Palestine. 
something happens in another part of the Muslim world with the Uyghur community, there's no filter for the Uyghur community on Facebook, right? So social media plays a huge role in the causes that we choose to support. It plays a huge role in the causes that we choose to support. Go ahead. Right. That's a, a very valid point. Like, if you look at this, um, you know, structural Islamophobia, that it makes us understand that Middle Eastern Muslim lives are worth less than those that are non-Muslim or perhaps are Caucasian or are white-skinned. And we see the treatment of Syrian refugees versus Ukrainian refugees, the amount of support that's put towards the Ukrainian community and towards the Syrian community. This is not to say that we want less support for the Ukrainian community. What we are asking for is the equal amount of support for refugees coming from Middle Eastern and Muslim countries as well. Treat everyone equally. Yeah. Right. But think about that for a second. Why does the death of a a celebrity have more of an impact as opposed to Ahmad rahimahullah dying in Yemen or in Palestine. Why is that the case? So I'll share you know, a reflection on the death of Kobe Bryant. Like a lot of people in my age group, in my generation, they were greatly moved by the death of Kobe Bryant. And Kobe Bryant's just any other basketball player, isn't he? Like Michael Jordan, LeBron James, you, you know, you have all these great players that are still there. Why are we so moved by the death of Kobe Bryant? People see their own mortality in these young people that pass away. They recognize that everything can be snatched away in a heartbeat, regardless of how famous, powerful, rich you actually are, and they recognize their own mortality. When Ahmad rahimahullah passes away, they don't see themselves in Ahmad. Because we're striving to be like Kobe Bryant, we're not striving to be like Ahmad. So that is why the celebrity death has a greater impact on our society. Because we consider them more relevant and we see ourselves more in them than we do in Ahmad or Fatima or you know, Muhammad or, or anyone else. So I, I like your point and I, I think there's a point of reflection to take from that. Now let's move on. So now, as we do social media activism, we want to look at the brother's point. What is our intention in doing so? Is our intention to create awareness? Is our intention to make change? Or is the intention just to show the world that I care and I've done something about it. And I've done something about it. Now, what does point number three look like? Point number three is the like, share, comment, right? So you like the article, you like the video, you share the video because maybe you didn't watch all of it. You share the article that you didn't bother reading just to show that you know, you've done something. And by Allah, this is the most annoying thing. And alhamdulillah, we don't see this in the community as much, but we're starting to see it. Thoughts and prayers. Oh, my thoughts and prayers are with you. Dude, what do your thoughts and prayers mean? Like, do, do your thoughts really make an impact on the world? Inshallah, your prayers do. But if you don't believe in anything, who are you praying to? What are you praying to? So what do thoughts and prayers mean from that person? And this is like, we see this all the time. Catastrophe happens, hashtag thoughts and prayers. And that's just like frustrating because that's so disingenuous. So disingenuous. So going back to being authentic and genuine, what is our intention? And then what are the actions that we're trying to 
what are the results that we're trying to achieve through our actions? Are we taking the appropriate actions? Now, the more that others participate in online activism, the more pressure mounts on you also to participate. So if you see everyone in your timeline, in your social media feed, that is commenting, liking, and sharing, and these are people that you regularly interact with, you have WhatsApp groups with them and other social media groups with them, if you don't comment, like, and share, people are going to ask, why? Do you not care? Right? Is this you know, not something that uh, resonates with you? And it actually ends up becoming a trap. So we end up becoming this you know, senseless, mindless, social media activists that are doing it for the sake of fitting in, as opposed to actually making drastic change. So now if you do not update your picture, you're now accountable to the suspicions of others. Do you not care about the cause? And this is what gets labeled as performative activism. So this is the term that we're looking for, performative activism. So we're doing activism for the sake of everyone else doing it, but with regards to real change, we're not doing anything tangible that's going to bring about change. Now, here's an idea that I want to explore as a community. Building on this brother's point, something that resonates with you deeply. We recognize the fact that not all of us can equally care about uh, a catastrophe or a cause all the time. So he says that you should focus on those that you deeply care about. Building on this very point, our activism in person and on social media needs to be strategically done. So you have certain people, mashallah, die-hard Palestinian cause supporters. Certain individuals, die-hard Uyghur cause supporters. Certain individuals, die-hard Kashmir supporters. And that's great. And what that allows us to do is that understand that activism and social justice is a fard kifaya. That as long as one group is doing it, the community is absolved of sin. So what we want to do is that those people that are supporting Palestine, we encourage them to continue supporting Palestine because that allows me to focus on another cause and with all of our organizations, with all of our groups, focusing on just one individual cause, we will be stronger that way as opposed to everyone trying to care about every cause and feeling that pressure that I have to care about every cause. You don't. You do not have to care about every cause equally. You need to feel pain when Muslims suffer. You need to have the desire wanting to change the world for a better place. But it is impossible for you to care about every cause equally. So those people that are passionate about a cause, empower them. Find out what you are passionate about and get involved over there so that you can make the most change over there, that you can make the most change over there. Social media activism really undermines the topic of dua. So we, we spoke about thoughts and prayers, but from a Muslim's perspective, where does the priority of dua come into play? So do we make dua first? and then do our activism? Or do we do our activism, and when it fails, we make dua, right? Dua should always be first. Dua should always be first. And this is a way of asking yourself, is your social media activism performative, or is it genuine? Did you make dua for this cause? Did you wake up at the hajjud time to make dua for this cause? That is a genuine question to ask if you are genuine and sincere in it. The impact of online activism is not then measured in lives changed by the number of views. This is what social media activism does. So as you're just focusing on the likes, shares, and views, 
you're like, okay, the more likes I got on my video, the more you know, successful I was in the social media activism. But what ends up happening is people watch this video, but they've seen a thousand other videos as well. And you're not going to change people's minds. You're not going to change people's minds like that. The actual way of changing people's minds, and this is where we'll get closer to our conclusion, is this theory of when you're on an airplane, you'll notice that within a set group of rows, people will have similar behaviors. So for example, if someone starts leaning on their right, you'll find that part of the row will start leaning on their right. If someone starts watching something and listening to something, the rows will start watching and listening to something. And this is called the theory of influence of five rows. So the theory is that within five rows, if someone starts up a trend, you'll see that five rows within the airplane will start following that trend. This can be eating, sleeping, watching something, the way that you're sitting, the way that you're doing something. That is your sphere of influence. Now within your own life, you have people that you have deep connections with, people that you will debate and discuss things with. Those are the people that you can actually change their minds and get them involved in their causes. As we've you know, killed to death, debating with people online doesn't work and it's not effective. You, ha you know, hashing it out in the comment section on YouTube, on Facebook, it's not gonna work. Create valuable content, but more important than that, create meaningful relationships that you can have an impact on people's lives, that you can have impact on people's lives. He has a paragraph that I wanna share with you. He says, accepting that premise and acting upon it has its own consequences. The consequence of likes and views and shares. The cause we are advocating for now is now competing against other causes in the marketplace for attention. We see this most commonly displayed with what aboutery. When someone posts something about one cause, another inevitably will reply saying, well, what about this other cause? This is a passive aggressive way to undermine advocacy for one cause in favor of another. So one person will say, pray for Palestine. Someone else will say, but what about praying for Syria? And subhanAllah, as an imam, this is so true. Like in Ramadan, on the day of Eid, if you start mentioning certain countries and you forget someone's country, people will be insulted. They will be angry. How dare you forget my country? How dare you forget my cause, subhanAllah? And you'll come and get a lecture at the end of the, the khutbah, at the end of the sermon, at the end of the dua. What's the easy way out? Allahumma unsar ikhwanan al-mustadafina fi kulli makan. Like, oh Allah, help all of our, you know, weak and oppressed brothers and sisters everywhere. Go ahead. No, no, you should not do anything insincerely. That is what we want to establish. If you're not genuine and if you're not taking proactive real steps in your life, liking, sharing, and commenting is going to be irrelevant unless it's a strategic move like Shadi's talking about. So someone does a campaign, you know what? Um, the plight in, uh, of the Uyghurs is not getting enough attention. So everyone tonight, go and create a hashtag, you know, I stand with the Uyghur people. So yes, you may not be involved, but for the cause of something specific like this, you can do something like that. But without a strategic cause, you shouldn't post something that's disingenuous or insincere. We're almost done, bidnillahi ta'ala. I want to share with you uh, three more points, bidnillahi ta'ala. Three more points, bidnillahi ta'ala. The danger of trying to care about every cause is that it creates compassion fatigue. Compassion fatigue, that you get exhausted, and you stop caring about the causes altogether. You're like, I need a break, and we don't want that 
to happen. We don't want that to happen. That's number one. Number two, here's a quote about from Mark Zuckerberg. Mark Zuckerberg, a journalist, was asking him a question about the newsfeed. And the journalist was asking him, why is this newsfeed so important? And Zuckerberg said, a squirrel dying in your front yard may be more relevant to your interests right now than people dying in Africa. And I want to talk about what a web based on that idea of relevance might look like. So by its very structure, Mark Zuckerberg wanted to create a web where people feel it is okay that a squirrel dying is more important than people dying in Africa. That was intentionally done by design. So you get to choose what is relevant to you. Does this align itself with Islamic morals and ethics? No. Yes, you care about how animals are treated, but we care more about human treatment, right? We have the hadith of the cat that was put in the cage, that lady was sent into the hellfire. We have the lady lived a, a, a terrible life. She gave water to a dog. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgave her. We believe in animals' rights and good treatment of animals. But if you look at the sin of murder, the sin of murder, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about it, that you will have the anger of Allah, you will have the severest of punishments, and you will be in the hellfire for a very prolonged period of time. So clearly the sanctity of human life is greater than the sanctity of an animal's life, even though it is still sacred, even though it is still sacred. So if you create an algorithm that allows you to value the death of a squirrel more than the death of a human being in Africa, there's a problem with that platform. We conclude this by saying, without realizing it, we are in the ultimate echo chamber. Everyone we know is talking about the same thing from the same point of view. It is then unfathomable for anyone to not take part or have a differing opinion. Any difference of opinion becomes marginalized by the mob of people I follow or by the algorithms at play. And activism then becomes an act of intolerance. And I want to highlight this point that particularly when we engage politically, particularly when we engage politically, we may align ourselves, you know, liberal, we may align ourselves conservative, but are we willing to engage with other points of view? Or do we constantly want our own views supported? So someone that listens to Andrew Tate, and we have, you know, issues with, with Andrew Tate. Does that mean that we cancel this individual and discredit them for all their opinions? No. We can disagree about our views on Andrew Tate, but I look at each other issue on its merit. What's happened in our current cancel culture is that if you're democratic, I will hate Republicans regardless of what the issue is. You're Republican, I will hate Democrats regardless of what the issue is. And you can use liberal conservatives, whatever the issue is. These type of blind allegiances are not from Islam. And you'll find that these topics tie in to your social justice politics. Liberals, Democrats, they will care more about certain issues. Republicans, conservatives will care more about certain issues. And we all live in our echo chambers. When you're trying to find out perspectives, it's important to engage with people from those very perspectives that believe in them. You can't just hear about criticisms about those perspectives from your own social circles. So now, what we want to conclude with is this hadith of the Prophet And then we'll do the action points. The Prophet says, as reported by Anas ibn Malik, 
If the day of judgment were to be established upon one of you, while he has in his hand a sapling, meaning a small tree, then let him plant it. Then let him plant it. What is the Prophet ﷺ telling us over here? So you take the example of a Dajjal. You hear the onset of the coming of a Dajjal. Everyone's tweeting about it. Everyone's sharing it. Everyone's talking about it. You run to social media, read all the articles, watch all the views, watch all the TikToks, watch all the reels about it. You've spent all of your time learning about Dajjal is traveling the world and creating this havoc and chaos. Have you done anything that has brought you closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? The Prophet says that if you have this sapling in your hand and something catastrophic is happening, fulfill that good deed that you're doing. Because that good deed may not come back, but that catastrophe is always going to be there. So as we look at social media activism, what are the seeds that we're planting that are hoping to grow? What are the seeds that we're planting that are hoping to grow? And that is where true, genuine change will happen. Those deep, meaningful relationships, those deep conversations where you're willing, willing to be vulnerable and hear other people's perspectives with sincerity, having your convictions challenged, and then having a peaceful, respectful dialogue. And even if we disagree, it's okay at the end. We're still brothers and sisters. We still love each other. And that is the way it's meant to happen. So now action points. Number one, self-assessment. Have you tried to raise awareness for an issue online, but neglected making dua for it? Remedy this by making dua for those causes that you advocate for. Number two, the next time an issue goes viral that you do not have a directly vested interest in, remain silent about it on social media and see what the effects are on you personally. Number three, carve out time to have meaningful conversation with a friend if you have different perspectives on an issue. Approach it with the intent of understanding their viewpoint as opposed to try to express your own. So the difference between hearing and listening. So you can listen to what someone's saying, but just for the sake of responding to them, to counter their every point. But when you hear what someone is saying, you try to look at the issue from their perspective and try to understand why do they hold this opinion. And then while respecting it, see, why is your opinion different? Are the evidences different? Is it the understanding that's different? Where is it stemming from? And then you try to create this dialogue between the two. So focus more on the active listening component where you're trying to understand as opposed to listening for the sake of responding. Listening to the sake of responding. Allahu Akbar, we completed the chapter. Alhamdulillah. Jazakumullah khairan. We'll open up the floor for questions and answers. And I greatly appreciate it. Bismillah. Yeah. Right. Where is the, what, what is it about? Like, where is it pointing to 
Excellent. No, Jazakallah khair. That's a, a, a great question. And I want to identify some of the issues first. Number one, when we share videos and why certain scholars may discourage sharing those videos. So number one is people's privacy. So oftentimes someone's being beaten up, they're being humiliated and disgraced, and then you're sharing that video online. Like, do we have this person's permission? Do we have their consent that this is what they actually want? So we need to understand that people's dignity and honor needs to be preserved. Number two is that when you share this video, what is the impact that it's going to have, right? We may think that, yes, we're creating awareness, but if it's creating onset depression, it actually defeats the purpose. Number three, understanding that this is all for the kifaya. And what, how does this translate in, 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 into the real world? So for example, me and my friends, you know, we all follow Sheikh Omar Suleiman, Sheikh Yasir Qadi, Mufti Mink, and all these other speakers that are out there. If all of these speakers, or the majority of them, have already spoken about it, do I think that me sharing a, a video or an article or something like that is going to have a greater impact? It's not. At that point, my social media activism is just performative. Because they've already reached all of my friends, they've already reached all of my family, because we're all following the same people already. So at that time, I don't actually need to share it. I don't need to actually share it. And the last point that I'll mention over here is that intention is very valuable. I know people have very noble intentions, sharing content for the sake of creating awareness, but we have this simple concept, that how many people intend to do good, but never reach it. So if we're you know, not respecting people's privacy, not retaining their dignity, creating onset depression amongst people, distracting people in the month of Ramadan. Like in the month of Ramadan, your priority is meant to be the ibad of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The catastrophes that happen every year in Gaza, we use those to motivate us to increase our ibadah. Not to distract us from our ibadah, right? There's a huge difference. So your intention and your actions will, will, will go a long way. I hope that helps. Allahu Adam. Any other questions, comments, concerns? I know it's been a long night. Jazakumullah khairan. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make it heavy on your scale of good deeds. Ameen. Go ahead, Amu. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I almost feel that you're asking the wrong person because I have very strong views on this issue. Right. Right, right, right. Right. Yes. Right. Ihram, yeah. <coughs> Thank you so much for asking this question. So let's look at an, an, uh, a couple of things. Number one, the, the topic of riyah. Are you showing off your deeds? Never try to document yourself doing ibadah, right? So as you're performing your umrah, don't be like, hey guys, I'm in Mecca right now. If you have any du'as that you want me to make, send me your du'as. Don't do that. Now is your time to focus on you. Focus on you at that moment. You don't know if that moment is going to come back, right? So protect yourself from riyah. Do not document your acts of ibadah. Number two, and perhaps this is the bigger issue, are you becoming a hindrance to other people? So you're trying to get down an escalator and you have this guy at the bottom of the escalator. Hey guys, I'm in Mecca right now and you're holding up the whole escalator that people are about to tumble on you. In tawaf, 
know, people are trying to make around their tawaf, and this person is trying to document, take a selfie with the Kaaba in the back, and people are about to trip over because of how crowded it is, right? You have to be considerate of other people. Be considerate of other people. So now, the conclusion is that if you're not engaged in an act of ibadah, and you're not going to be a hindrance, by all means, take pictures for your own memories. Show your family members that are unable to come, subhanAllah. I know relatives in Pakistan, India, they may never get the opportunity to go to the Kaaba. So me taking a short video at that time and doing it live for them, it'll mean the world to them. It'll make them so happy. But you have to make sure that you're not compromising your own deen and you're not compromising the safety of others. If you can do that, by all means, take pictures and videos. If you can't, then refrain from it. And Allah knows best. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, excellent. So there are certain causes that are directly related to you. So for example, hypothetical scenario, someone has children and you know there's a, a, a new policy with regards to how washrooms are going to be created, how identity is going to be discussed in school. Because of you having children, it transfers from fard kifaya to fard ayn. You have to participate in that because it's directly important to you. But again, let's just say, you know, create uh, awareness for Palestine or the Uyghurs. In that sort of situation, if you're overwhelmed, you have a lot on your plate, and you know that other people are doing it, you're absolved by the fact that it's fard kifaya because it's not directly related to you. But at the end of the day, I still also think that a signature is so easy. And, and it's not even a performative act, because inshallah, if you're signing the, web, the correct websites, like from the House of Commons, or something that's on change.com uh, that's going to the House of Commons, those will actually have real change. But if you're signing like a Google form, that Google form is not going anywhere. So don't bother wasting your time there. But with everything else that you hope to make change, literally it's a two-second job. It's automated now. You press click, and they sign it for you, right? Because you fill it out in, in advance. So those are just some thoughts on that, and Allah knows best. Any other questions, comments, concerns? No, we'll conclude with that, inshallah. So just a couple of announcements, just bear with me. Announcement number one, next week's halaqa will still be over here. Next week's halaqa will still be over here. But after next week, we're moving to the northeast. After next week, we're moving to the northeast. That's number one. Number two, for the sisters, Sheikh Musli Khan is holding an event called uh, 10 Ayahs that every Muslim needs to know. That's happening on December 24th in the Northeast. Kindly sign up for that event. Uh, you can get more information at iisc.ca. Number three, we're having our winter conference at the IIC in the Northeast on December 25th from Dhuhr till Isha. You'll have myself, Sheikh Ali Nasser, Sheikh Abdurrahman Khattab, Sheikh Iqbal Gora, um, and several others, Sheikh Hamza. So please too try to, try to join us. We want all of our family and friends. What are you going to be doing on a Sunday on Christmas? Everything's closed anyways. Come to the masjid. Learn, and we'll, have, uh, we'll be having free pizza as well, inshallah. So you don't have to worry about food. Go ahead. Yep. Uh, I believe it's Sheikh Hamza, but that's going to be starting January 23rd. That's January 23rd, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So I'm continuing all the way till January 6th. Uh, sorry, so January, December 23rd is Sheikh Musli Khan. Then back to me. Then January 6th is me. Then January 13th is Sheikh Yahya Ibrahim. And then Sheikh Hamza is going to be starting the, the, his new series after that. Bidin Aitana. I'm going to continue talking about social media till January 6th, inshallah. But we'll have some gaps in between. <laughs>
So let's conclude with that. Subhanakallahum bihamdik. Ashhadu an la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you sticking around. Wassalamu alaikum wa